you would, if you're able, remain standing as we honor God's Word. It comes to us this morning from 2 Timothy, right at the beginning. I'm going to be reading chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I am grateful to God whom I worship with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, lives in you. For this reason, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is within you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. First and Second Timothy are written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a young leader, pastor, and Paul was his mentor. In these letters, Paul offers practical advice and encouragement to Timothy in his ministry. Second um, Timothy is unlike uh, many of the other letters Paul wrote, including the first of these letters. This one is an intensely personal. Timothy is facing a very difficult road in front of him, and Paul is writing to offer encouragement and say, hey, I want you to stay the course, stick with it. In the first four verses of the letter, we see Paul rejoice over Timothy's genuine faith that has been proven. Later in this chapter, he'll even contrast that to others whose faith is weak. The encouragement for Timothy to continue, is to continue in the faith and not to neglect his gifts. This morning I want to start a short sermon series, and in this series we're going to examine what Paul says to Timothy, his words of encouragement and advice. And we're assuming that this is Paul's last letter, and so we've entitled this series, The Last Letter. Let us pray. Lord, these words are yours. We thank you for the gift of your word. Your word that does not change, that is eternal. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would teach each of us. Speak to each of our hearts, we humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus on the last verse that I read this morning, verse 7. Paul says, For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice or fear, but rather a spirit of power. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but he gave us a spirit of power. Now, let's be honest. We have a lot to be afraid of, do we not? A lot. Pandemic. Political unrest. Turmoil. A world at war with rumors of war. Uncertainty in the economy. When I was young, my church told me, often, that I ought to be afraid. The church, through its sermons, through its message, through Sunday school, 
It, it, they, they told me that I was to live this life in fear. I, I was supposed to be afraid of secular people. Really, really afraid of communists. That was the worst. Um, I was also supposed to be afraid of other denominations and people in other denominations. Uh, I was really supposed to be afraid of the end times. And they could be any day now, but I was supposed to be scared about that and when it could come. Boy, it was a lot of fear. And you ought to be afraid because there's so much to be afraid of. This was coming from the church. I remember one day being in church, and it was a large church, and it was near a college campus. And the pastor was up preaching a sermon against communists and how evil and awful communists were. And I'll never forget, I was really young, but a group of protesters got up in the middle of his sermon and got right in front of the pulpit and held up a big banner and in essence, we're, we're condemning what the preacher was talking about. I don't even remember the source of their protest, but I had never, I've never, no one's ever protested one of my sermons before. <laughs> I had never seen this before, yes, but there's always a first. Whatever they were protesting, it left me feeling even more afraid. And this was inside the sanctuary of the Lord, where God's word was being proclaimed. And yet I read verse 7, and Paul says to Timothy and to us, Oh no, we don't have a spirit of fear. That's not us. We're not cowards in, face, in light of all of this. We don't have cowardice, but rather what resides in us is a spirit of power. Of power. You know, daily we are confronted with messages that tell us, Oh, you ought to be afraid. You cannot turn on the TV or the internet this, these days without hearing who you ought to be afraid of. <clears throat> and it's so passionate and it's so ratings-driven. Fear, 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 fear. You know, all of these things, in fact, probably more, were very much present when Paul wrote this letter. I mean, it was a scary, scary time. And yet he begins by saying to Timothy, hey, let's not give in to that. Let's not live this life in fear. As believers, we have a whole different spirit. We shouldn't be afraid or timid or, or shrink into despair. Now, one of the temptations when reading this book is, this letter, is that I think we should avoid reading it, seeing Timothy as, let's say, the underdog. What we know from Paul's letter is that Timothy was young he was a young pastor. He was pastoring his first church in Ephesus. And perhaps, let's imagine he was a little bit shy, maybe inexperienced, maybe timid, maybe not great qualities for a first-time pastor. He certainly was inexperienced. In fact, Paul had to remind the Corinthians that he was of full value and he was a worthy messenger to help deal with their struggles. So on the face of it, we might look at it and say, oh, Paul's just trying to build up this one that really is insecure and small and maybe the underdog and how is he going to face all these big challenges but the problem with that thinking is we know this the underdog hardly ever ever comes out on top that's why we love their story so much because when they do it's wow it's amazing I don't think that's what's going on here Paul completely believes and is confident <coughs> that Timothy has something that no one else has Many others may have it, but it's something that the secular world or the Roman Empire is certainly not tapping into. He believed, Timothy, do you not know, do you not understand what you have? 
the Spirit of God, the power that comes from that. Timothy, you're going to be able to change and, and, and move and redirect and have an incredible impact because you're connected to Almighty God. You have a spirit not of fear, but a spirit of power. God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of power. Now, the word that Paul uses here for power is the Greek word dunamis, from which we get our English word dynamite. This is no wimpy, second-rate kind of power. This is explosive power. This is big, big big-time power. Now, in the world that Paul wrote this to Timothy, there were all kinds of ideas being held and interpreted about what power actually is and what it looks like. The Greeks had a view of power. Their view was that power was in beauty and in truth and in wisdom. And those that had beauty and truth, the philosophers and those who had wisdom, they were the powerful movers and shakers of the day. The Jewish view of power was was rooted in heritage and religion with this idea that we are set apart, that we are chosen by God. And so they felt that that was a powerful, powerful thing. And we find it in our heritage and in our unique situation. And intermixed in all of this, Greeks and the Jewish view, there was the Roman view of power. And their view was might is right. The sword, ends justify the means, violence, domination. That's why Paul's message is startling in a way, because what Paul is saying is in the midst of all of that power and understanding of power, there's something else going on in our world that really does have the power. The rest of it doesn't. It doesn't look like it, but... Timothy, remember what we have? We have something really powerful. Paul lived within the borders of the greatest superpower the world had ever known up to that time. Paul was preaching this message of the gospel in the streets of Rome itself. He was up to his neck in the environment of the world's power. Yet in the midst of all of that, Paul spoke of a new understanding. The power of God for salvation. The power of God for righteousness. The power of faith, he said. Again, this is no wimpy second-class power. This is something that gives confidence. This is something that changes lives. This is something that is based upon a God who keeps his promises. We should know this because when you read the Bible, we see it being enacted over and over and over again. I mean, think about it. Pharaoh had all of the worldly power, did he not? All of it. And yet Moses had the power of God. Goliath certainly had all the power, but David was working with the power of God. Pilate had the power, but Jesus certainly had the power of God. Nero had the power, but Paul had the power of God. Mao Zedong had worldly power, but the underground church in China has the power of God. It's been proven over and over and over again through the biblical record and human history. How many people have have named their children Nero? None. 
If you were to walk the streets of Rome and, and said that 2,000 years from now, no one would dare name their child Nero, but millions of people would name their child Paul after this one who was walking the streets and preaching. Would, no one would have ever believed that. But God was working. God was moving. Everyone was captivated by Nero's power, but it was amounted to nothing next to the power of God. You know, one thing we have learned from the 2,000 years the church has been persecuted, it, it is that Jesus' counsel to turn the other cheek is a very powerful move. In fact, historically, it has proven to be the best way to bring oppressors to their knees. Turning the other cheek is not a mark of being a victim. It's a mark of quiet, confident strength that will not be deterred from convictions, even when we are bullied. Now, it takes a lot of courage to use God's power and turn away from the power plays of the world. But this is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Be strong. Don't be afraid. Trust that God is with you. Years ago, John Wesley wrote a letter on his deathbed. And I love this. He wrote a, a letter to William Wilberforce, you know, the one who was working for the removal of slavery in England. His, he had a long, long fight to abolish slavery. And Wesley wrote him a letter from his deathbed, and it said this, Unless the divine power, William, has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. Sounds a little formidable. <laughs> he writes him a letter and he says, guess what, you're up against it. It's enormous, it's big, it's powerful. I can't, uh, unless. And then he says this, but if God be for you, who could possibly be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Go on, in the name of God and in the power of his might. And he prevailed. His message won, and that evil, awful institution was abolished. Friends, Paul's message is startling. We are immersed and we swim in waters where the world's power is celebrated. It's, it's strange today, on this, it's, it's as strange on the streets of Scottsdale as it was on the ancient roads of that superpower Rome. Because we still are tempted to identify power with bigness, big names, big headlines, big weapons, big bank accounts. These we think, oh, these are the powerful movers and shapers of our society, of ourselves and of our world. But, but are they really? Charles Schultz, you know, the created peanuts, he, he created a little test on this. He, he devised this before he died. And, and it was a little quiz that we're going to take right here in the sanctuary just right now. Number one, name the five wealthiest people in the world. You can't use Google. Don't look it up on your phone. Name the five wealthiest people in the world. Number two, name the last five winners of the Miss America contest. 
Name ten people who have won the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize. Name the last dozen, last half dozen Academy Award winners for Best Actor and Actress. Number five, name the last decade's worth of World Series winners. How did you do? How would you do on that test if it was given to you right now? That would be hard. No computer, no phone. That's hard. Schultz's point is this. None of us remember the headliners of yesterday. They, they, and these are no second-rate achievers. They are the best of their fields, but the applause dies, awards tarnish, achievements are forgotten, accolades and certificates are buried with their owners. And he said, wait, now here's another quiz. See how you do on this one. List a few teachers who aided you on your journey through school. Name three friends who have helped you through a difficult time. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. Think of a few people who have made you feel appreciated. Think of five people you enjoy spending time with. Name a half dozen heroes whose stories have inspired you. Easier? You bet. Much easier. Charles Schultz is teaching us, people who make a difference in your life, the people with the greatest power in your life, are not the ones with the most credentials, the most money, the most awards. They are the ones that care. They're the ones that love you the most. They are the ones that empower you. We have tools to tap into this power. We can do powerful acts in this world. Things like forgiveness. When we forgive someone else, it's a powerful act. When we're on our knees and we are praying for our world, our city, our family, our neighbors, that's a powerful act. When we sacrifice, allow someone else to go forward and to be in front It's a powerful move. When we live this life without fear, that's a powerful person. Who had the most power in Timothy's life? Caesar? Nero? The Roman centurion? No. According to verse 5, Paul says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that lived first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure lives in you. Who had the power in his life? His grandmother and his mother. Paul mentions their names, those two. I see what they did. They've brought you to this place. They had great influence over you, and Paul is celebrating them. I imagine Grandmother Lois putting young Timothy on her lap and telling him stories. 
I, I imagine that she would tell him stories about how the walls fell around Jeru- Jericho, about how David brought the ark into Jerusalem and how he danced. She told him stories about Jesus walking on the water and how he healed a blind man. I imagine his mother Lois each morning putting his coat on and doing each button and and giving him his lunchbox when he went to school. And, and she said to him each day, remember who you are, Timothy. I want you to remember who you are. You are loved by Jesus Christ. G. Campbell Morgan, a profound British preacher, had four sons. All of them became pastors, and they influenced millions um, with their preaching, mostly their father, um, teaching and writing. And one day, when one of the young sons, Howard, finished uh, preaching, a reporter asked him, since you have five pastors in your family, who is the greatest preacher? Expecting the son to give the honor to his father, Howard surprised the reporter by saying, my mother. We often don't realize that a mother's love, concern, and teaching are often far more influential or powerful than anything else. And to think some people don't think women should be preachers. Friends, each day we have the opportunity to empower others with faith, with love, forgiveness. We can turn the other cheek. We can remain silent. We can have confidence despite all the reasons we have to be afraid. We can say, but I trust in my God, and that is a powerful statement. We can live this life free of cowardice and fear. The world around you does not need any more fearful people. The people in your life do not need you to be afraid. It needs powerful people who are unafraid because they know that no matter what comes, Jesus is on the throne and that he has promised to never leave us or forsake us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for Lois and Eunice, and we thank you for the people here in this room that are patiently and quietly doing powerful, wonderful acts of faith and service, of proclamation, of living this life full of joy. Lord, we thank you that we can tap into your power, that we can face this life with great, great confidence because of who you are. Help us this week, Father, to believe such wonderful news is true. Amen.